I'm Yves Bolognini. I come from Lausanne. I'm the director of the Bolo Museum. And you're listening to the Scene World Podcast. Sup, y'all? It's the Scene World Podcast. I'm AJ. Jurg is over there. This is quarantine day 922. Yeah. Uh, we're in our respective homes, away from everybody else in the world. And we've got a treat for you today because, because even though we can't get out and most of you out there can't get out, um, Falk Heinzelman and Stefan Pitch can get out and they can get to the Digital Retro Park and show us around whilst nobody's there. So, so be prepared for an exclusive one. It, it, it's, like, it's like we're the only people in the museum. Getting, exactly. getting a one-on-one tour, so that's coming up in just a minute. Before that, um, news. I don't. I don't think that there's too much news going on. Well, um, we are reporting a lot about uh, crowdfunding lately since mm-hmm. the last couple of years, and face uh, and and Kickstarter just announced today that unfortunately they have to set off people because they are. Um, Two small amounts of new projects mm-hmm. being established right now because of the COVID nineteen situation. Right. So they will fire staff. Mm. That's a shame. There's lots of that going on. There's lots of people hurt and lots of jobs disappearing. It's yeah. It's, it's a rough time for everybody right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've actually got a little bit of news that I've just discovered in the last three seconds. Um, one of that is that, uh, Antonio Savona, who is, um, kind of a prolific game creator on the C64 and has had some really solid, um, solid hits, um, is putting the finishing touches on Fix-It Felix Jr. Oh, yeah, I saw about that. Impressive yeah. preview videos. On yeah, YouTube. yeah, yeah. It's, it's an unofficial port of of an arcade game that I don't think actually existed, but it was from the 2012 uh, Disney thing, uh, Wreck-It Well, Ralph. there was a ROM. Disney released a ROM of it. Really? Yes. Okay. So the game does exist, okay. and there were actually um, a couple of um, of arcades that were made out of the draft the, the movie promoted. Hmm. So actually... Um, there is there there are arcade machines that fans created based on okay. based on the movie, but the game of course exists. There is even a port, an unofficial port, for the Mega Drive mm. of the game. So the C sixty four version isn't the first port of this arcade game. And okay. yes, Disney really created a real game for the movie. Okay. So you can get the ROM file of the arcade, um, um, of the arcade game. Okay. So you can actually put it in in MAME and play it. Well, they're saying that people are saying that this could be like a game of the year for the for the C64. You know, similar to um, uh, you know how um, Sam's Journey was kind of like the 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 big game release for from a couple years ago. Yeah. So that's and it's still it's still selling light. Um, it is. 
Hot buns. They uh, Protovision just announced recently over two thousand five hundred copies were sold. Yeah, yeah, that's that's mainstream game numbers. I mean, that's not that's not even like you know niche vintage stuff. That's that's that those are good numbers even for like a modern game. So yeah, nice. Have you seen these um, commemorative eight bit user coins? No. So, some guy from Seven Sided Mint, I suppose, they make gold and silver plated coins for special occasions. They've put out some commemorative coins. The one says uh, C64 Life. Uh, one has a picture of a C64 on it, and another one has just kind of like a video game thing. And um, there's a triple coin collector set that you can that you can get. And it costs thirty-two pounds for the three set, the three coin set, or or eight ninety-nine for an individual coin. Uh, someone posted about them on Facebook. I think maybe the guy that 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 designed them, and uh, they seem to go over well. Nice. So, we'll nice. put a link to where you can get those and where you can see them and whatnot in the podcast description. If you're watching the video version of this, you're probably looking at them on the screen because I probably took a picture of them and stuck them there. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, and um, speaking about the collectibles, Walter Day's Superstar of Gaming Volume 1 has been released recently. Mm. And it has over 100 full color pages, cover art, um, all 200 cards listed. He offers as trading cards, historical stories about Walter Day. Yeah, and beautiful imagery throughout the book. He says, and it can be ordered at thewalterdaycollection.com uh, and can be um, ordered by Walter Day directly. Mm-hmm. I think that's the only way you can get it. Actually, is to order yes. from Walter Day directly. Yes, exactly. Exactly, yeah. And I ordered my copy as well. Mm-hmm. And um, Johan Kripp actually started shipping out orders of the C128 Neo assemble kits. Yeah, just in time for our podcast to release with him uh, last month. So that's exactly, exactly. perfect timing. Was, yeah, yeah. I I I really got a pre-built one. He hmm. kept his promise. Nice, nice. Yeah. So you no no soldering. No soldering. Just Beautiful. need to collect to collect the ICs now. Hmm. Because Very cool. It comes without ICs. Yeah. Very and cool. I was able to get I was able to get um a um a wind um how you say a mint. Uh, a mint case mm. and a mint German keyboard. Mm. Mm. Now I only need to get the German ROM chips. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it will miss the German characters. Yeah, yeah. One twenty-eight is one of the few eight-bit machines that had different keyboards depending on where where it was sold. Actually, not true. Sweden, uh, Swedish C sixty four had Swedish keys, mm. and the Spanish one had the Spanish N because it was a requirement by law. Oh, okay. That that every computer that 
that is supposed to be so nationally has to have those mm. characters. That is why the Spanish and the uh, Swedish C64 have um, the no national mm. special letters. You don't see too many of them. I know that there's a there was a Japanese version of the C64 with a special exactly. Japanese ROM and the and the kanji characters mm -hmm. or whatever. But um, but and that you see kind of more often, I think, than than the Swedish or or Spanish versions. I don't I don't know that I've ever seen one of those. Well, um, there are pictures on the internet, yeah, and there are um, museum pictures. Yeah. You know, the thing the thing with with collectors like myself is, if you have something that is rare, you don't sell it. Other of course, else else, except if you are in financial trouble. Mm -hmm. But that's not all the news. Oh, it's not there all. Wasn't, there wasn't the other news about the demo scene, art of coding where um, Finland accepts the demo scene on its national UNESCO list of instectable cultural heritage of humanity. That's, you know, that's, 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 you know, a lot, a lot of people don't think of computer stuff as, you know, art. And my argument has always been the demo scene is totally, totally art. Is you know we, the medium is the computer, and whether you're a musician or an artist or a coder or whatever, it's it, it's a way of expression. It's 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 preservable, and it's it's an important culture piece of cultural heritage. They're saying, yeah, they should do that here in the U.S. as well. So we we'll, we would link to that yes in the podcast links, description, links of course. Everything we talked about will be down there in the podcast description someplace wherever we happen to put it. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so the Digital Retro Park is waiting right there for our exclusive tour whilst we're all in lockdown. So, let's go check that out. So, today we are talking to um, the two club presidents of the Digital Retro Park, <laughs> DRP, and it's a computer museum. And we are talking so to uh, Stefan Pitch. And Falk Heinzelmann. Welcome, guys. Hey. First of all, just to get you corrected, uh, I was the president. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we have to get okay. That, we have to get that straight. I, I was president for the first three years when we built it up, and Stefan took over. Just for your information. He still is very important, though. Yeah. <laughs> all righty. But anyway, you are both the founders, of some of the founders, right? Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Right. We started the, we started the project back in uh, 2009. The idea came up at Homecon, which is a local retro meeting convention, as you can would you like, as you can call it. Uh, a lot of people go there, bring their old stuff, play with it, repair it, talk about it, have a nice barbecue, and it's always nice to have this stuff out. And we noticed that strange people or the strangers came in because it's a public school, and uh, every time they came in, they were like, "What's this?" They were really fascinated about it, and kind of we felt kind of sad that we had to put back our stuff. It's, it's six times a year, so it takes basically one and a half months to get the old stuff back out again and show it to the public. And we noticed the stuff is rotting in our basement, and we do basically nothing with it. And uh, so the idea came up, and we said, let's put it in the public, let's make a museum. And this is how it all got started. This was about 2009 and 2011. We basically we started out to get to the city, talk to the to the city uh, people, 
and uh, try to sell the idea. Uh, the bad part about it is that we took the both cities that were under the uh, urgent umbrella that they don't have money, <laughs> really the bank bankrupt cities. Uh, <laughs> so, they could, <laughs> so they couldn't help us very much, although they did in the end. We first started at Hanau and uh, the, yeah, the mayor basically gave us a room where we could start out and it was in a public and official museum. It was a little, little hard, tough start there because our idea is basically that we have everything on display you can use. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, we are all working full time, so this was no option to spend all, all our days in the, in the museum. And so we had a lot of class and uh, yeah. We had, to, we had to tie away the, the good stuff. But uh, it put us on the list. Uh, the, pre the press was very nice, and the feedback was great, so uh, that kept us going. In 2014, we finally settled down in Offenbach, where, where the DRP is now located. It's my hometown, and uh, we had a good connection to the, to the city management. This was the idea. We founded uh, yeah, the, the club, Digital Reto Park, IV. Basically at my at my dining table <laughs> with seven Indeed. people and uh, yeah since then it was a steep curve learning curve with everything we had a lot of exhibitions and tiny rooms and whatever came our way we, we packed up all the things and went there and uh, tried to yeah how you call it we, we, we sharpened our knives and get into <laughs> get precise and tested our tested our ideas and in 2014 we won uh, a lot of money. We took part in the crowdfunding campaign from Kulturmut, which uh, donated us in the end like 25,000 euros. We had, to, we had to get together 7,000 from, from backers that liked us, and the rest they, they put in the pot. Mm -hmm. And this is the money that where we said, okay, this is what we have to start this thing and uh, keep it up for one year. This, and in 2018, we finally found a room, which we can show you afterwards. And yeah, ever since uh, the museum is up, and we are still, still here, <laughs> luckily. Yeah, we opened up in uh, that was the 13th of October, 2018. We had a few hundred people here. Unfortunately, we haven't had that many people in one day ever since then. But I guess that was to be expected. Um, but uh, speaking of. Uh, having many people here um, in November we had our one year anniversary slightly delayed uh, but uh, we had a good showing there as well and now we're almost one and a half years here and hopefully we'll stay a bit longer but that of course is up to our sponsors and people coming to visit us and in the current situation obviously people coming to visit us is a bit of a problem. Yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> we have to. We had to close down because everybody, everything here is shut down. We can't let anybody in. So that's yeah. a bit of a problem for us right yeah. now. You're telling me that this isn't an essential service. This oh, <laughs> up there with you know fire and healthcare and stuff. Yep, we are not. I mean. From our perspective, we're totally essential, but we had a hard time explaining that to the authorities. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there are Zach McCracken and Maniac mentioned the background as posters. So it's you could say you are alien fighters or something. Yeah, <laughs> no. it would be no, worth no. a try. We we'll keep the aliens away at least. Well, I mean, yeah. no alien showed up yet, so apparently it's working. So yeah, come yeah. on, give us some recognition here. We got a lot of soap in our bathroom, and we don't. We even do have toilet paper left, so we are just. <laughs> well, that's yeah. We don't. 
they're they're going nuts with the toilet paper over here. It's it's yeah. it's. I don't, I don't understand. It's the same here. Yeah. We, yeah. we don't either. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't get it because this is not that kind of virus. It doesn't. This doesn't do that to you. <laughs> yeah. Not really. No. no. And the house is on fire and they're calling for toilet paper. I don't know what's going on, but yeah. this is sometimes it's Germany, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the first computer virus to be branded Corona. Oh, Lord. I don't know. It toilet papers your screen from the inside or something. <laughs> <laughs> At least we haven't had anything to do with it yet. I mean, our machines are a bit older. The yeah. most problems that we would have with viruses were boot viruses on the uh, Amiga t- discs. Um, but other than that, usually you just just close it down and start it up again, and that's it. Right. If you take off power more than 10 seconds, usually it's gone. But if I sleep at night on Corona, I still have it, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, toilet paper is a real world problem. <laughs> this has nothing to do with the museum. <laughs> So um, I know I have been in the museum myself, and I'm I'm aware that Stefan is known for his good tours throughout the museum, where he where you tell a lot of details about histories of the machines and um, the games that are running on them or software that are running on them. The only problem we have is that I heard we only have an hour. <laughs> yeah, Stefan. <laughs> Stefan is doing is doing the the uh, tours for the Corona people. <laughs> I, I, t- I, t- I, t- I can show a bit what we have done since you were here last, uh, Jörg. Okay. We have, yeah, well, uh, when we I was here last updates. was in um, was when when there was the Game Boy um, workshop. Tronimal. Tronimal. Okay, that was in January. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So since then we added a few things, and I'm I'm gonna switch the camera around. Okay. If I can figure out how to actually do this on Skype. Okay. okay there we go. There we oh. go. Oh. So we added a few uh, old PCs to oh, our okay. arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> so as you can see, that is um, you. That is one. Uh, that is the first portable XT uh, uh, from Compaq, which has uh, already a 10 megabyte hard drive, which is awesome. But unfortunately, that machine doesn't work. But on the next machine, this is a genuine IBM 5160 XT uh, with the original 5151 monitor, just green. Um, where we have, unfortunately, since it is the original one, only a few games with um, the character set. There is no graphics on that machine because it only has the MDA graphics adapter in it. And next to it is his brother from another mother. Um, <laughs> it's the Robotron ES1834, uh, the last machine that was built in the uh, GDR. Uh, it came out in nine, late 1988, early 1989. They cost about uh, 14,000 Ostmark, I think. There were actually a few thousand built of those, uh, but i um, not sure who actually could afford them. But then, of course, end of uh, 89, the whole uh, computer industry in the GDR went down obviously. So that's the last one that was built there. And it is really a very, very blatantly clone of the one you see on, on the left here. Um, inside, it was supposed to be a Russian CPU in it, 
but it is actually from Siemens Nixdorf. So I guess some diplomats brought it over in their hand luggage, somehow gray area importing that stuff. Um, <laughs> <do you> know? <laughs> about the same time, we, we have the Amigas. Um, oh. Here's the Amiga 1000, the first one from the series. And there's running Star Wars, as you can see. Um, next to it, we have the multi-seller, the Amiga 500. And we have uh, Speedball 2 running on that. Where you can also have uh, pinball dreams on it or uh, Turrican. We have a whole box with cool games for it. And then next to it is the, uh, the workhouse, the Amiga 2000, mm -hmm. where we have added a camera to it. And uh, you can already see that... Yeah, that uh, Falk tried to picture himself in D-Pain. <laughs> so this is actually a lot of fun for kids that are visiting us to do that. They watch themselves on the screen and then paint over it. Here are the uh, brothers of that. We have the Atari, of course, as well. The Atari 1520, uh, 5020ST. And then we have the... And nobody started the game yet. That is actually the, the 1040ST. And it is a new game. It's uh, the Frogs game from Dr. Vuro Industries, mm. where you can play with up to four people. That's why there's a few more joysticks here than usually. You see there we have the adapter in the back where you can add two more uh, controllers so that four people can actually play the game. Interesting. I, almost, I mostly only know the Z64 version of that game. Yeah, I mean, I think he, he built it for quite a few different platforms. And you can actually change the in-game graphics to the C64 sprite versions and so on. <laughs> so that is weird, but, uh, I mean, uh, he's nice. Uh, he's also weird, but it works. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, really, really I, guess, I guess it's you need cool. to be a bit weird uh, yeah. uh, in this hobby. I mean, it's, it's, it's a glorified version of that frog game that came with the first C62, uh, C64 demo disc. Basically, yeah. it's the same sprite where the frog is sticking out his, his tongue and kicking other frogs into the pond now in this game. Then we have, here is the, our concession to the new um, age a bit, the, the Apple computers. So the uh, Square Max, um, the, here, this is a Macintosh SE, and there you can see Burgenschlacht, basically. So uh, all, as is known, worms or a thousand other names for it. In this game, it's called artillery. Uh, it's, it all goes back to the time when computers were used to actually calculate ballistic trajectories mm -hmm. to drop bombs or something. So those uh, survived in terms of games here, obviously. Then we have uh, one of the newer ones, because they're so nice. This is uh, the iMac, the Bondi Blue, the first one from 1999. And uh, next to that, we have... Uh, a small exhibit of the computer mouse that came with the first Square Mac, the uh, one-button mouse, as you can see with the square pack there. Next to it is a computer that was built, purely designed to go into a museum, because <laughs> the practical value of it is very, very low. But you can... Uh, it's, it's a nice machine with the whole thingy, like a lamp here. And uh, yeah. I think there are quite a lot of... Uh, Dentists had that, uh, and other doctors had that, uh, just as a flashy thing in front out. But you can't actually use it. But it has severe heat problems. I've got one sitting right over there. Yeah. We have a few more of those iMacs. Obviously, they came in a lot of uh, nice, juicy colors. 
And here we have uh, our, just going to take this one away. Uh, there we go. This is our next station. As you can see, this is the magnesium cube. And it has the nice uh, black and white monitor for it, original uh, keyboard, the sound box. And we also have the printer for it, oh. actually. So we're getting the complete set together now. We have a few As, more things, of the, yeah. obviously, here, stuff that we can't really show. Oh, is, that a, is that a 5400 down there on the right? There? That one? No, 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 no. Up, up above that, the Mac. Next to the, no, next to the, uh, next to the E-Mac. Yes. That guy right there, 5400. Yes, that's ah, right. I had one of those for years. <laughs> the all-in-one, or mm -hmm. another all-in-one version. Yep. And up there, we have the portable ones. Left is the uh, Stacy from Atari, mm -hmm. the portable ST, and then we have the Mac portable, obviously, as well. And then we have a few more of those small cubic ones here. Yep. And down here from NCC, an old text uh, um, writing system where you have the, uh, the floppy disk drive next to the monitor, which is something you should absolutely never, never, never do. <laughs> I don't know how they did it, but they built it directly next to it and also put the HD drive right next to it. So I'm not sure. Maybe they put something really, really strong in between there. If you ever need to sell it, it's <laughs> it's it's um, erasing itself, I guess. Yeah, yeah I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, maybe there's a button and then the partition comes down and whoop, the data is gone or something. <laughs> we have here, which is a really cool thing, that is an Osborne. Oh, oh yeah. It looks a bit like you want to uh, you want to direct some Russian uh, missiles with it. Yeah, it has a nice screen, screen in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, these spaces are just to store disks in it. Um, on the other side, we have the Kaipro 10, uh, which is built from solid steel and weighs about 14 kilograms. So back then, uh, as you know, it was more uh, luggable than yes. a laptop. <laughs> and in between, we actually have a newer one that is uh, the IBM 80 with the 286 and uh, CPU, and we have Commander Keen running on it, um, and a few other games, obviously, like uh, Elite and so on. So this is the upper room that we have here, and I see that Falk is already... Yeah, I can see Falk down there. Um, but he's standing all the way down there. <laughs> Actually sitting there. So this... Okay. I, I guess I'll take over from there. Um... I just start over. We started the first, when we come in, in our museum, we have a little little cafe over here, which is actually a maker space. You can see 3D printers over there, tables, a lot of stuff, soldering irons and whatever. You get some drinks when you like, if you like to. You can start to play already on self-built little oh. cube here that looks like an NES. Uh, yeah, so for example, uh, Katja Becker had um, a modding workshop in January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We do, we do, we do have workshops all the time. Here's a calendar, which is hard to read. <laughs> you <laughs> probably need to, uh, yeah, some decryption skills anyway. <laughs> so a uh, lot of stuff is, to, is going on here. If we can open again, lately we had a workshop where we built this year, which is basically a wind turbine, <laughs> where mm -hmm. you can get a little bit of power. Next step is to put this out on the place behind the museum. There's a lot of stuff going on. Georg, who actually runs the cafe over here, the Commons Cafe, is uh, very, very active on this, uh, on this side. 
Um, usually when we start with our tours, we start at our history staircase. <laughs> we have uh, put together a short, uh, short history timeline with a lot of, lot of gaps in it. But uh, just to get the people hooked and show where we all where it all started, basically from Charles up to Israel and Apple One over here, you see all the big stuff like the ENIAC and first microcomputers that appeared. So we can tell the story and just step over to the to the machines that we actually have running here. Uh, another nice thing is the upper upper part of this. Uh, it just gives you an idea that every it doesn't matter how expensive and how restrictive these machines were and how far they were away from the public. Always there were games on it. Yeah, <laughs> this is the upper timeline. It shows basically the history of times of the of, of games. Um, one nice feature, perhaps, that is interesting, you can see our door signs. They are named after the ladies that actually programmed the ENIAC. They're the first programmers. They get, lately, they get a lot of attention, but back then, programming was not uh, something you talked about. The guys who actually built the computer were the, were the engineers with the white collar and whatever. Those were the gods, and the ladies were the, were the ladies who actually made the whole thing thing and run, and those were forgot. So we put up Six, uh, six of the better-known ladies in our door names. So now I step into the console history. I guess I have to switch on the lights. Wait a second. So, yeah, basic start here from Pong, the home Pong version. Everybody knows it. Oh, yeah. Can play also already four games. It's a later version of it, Super Pong. From the Atari 2600, the VCS, probably the best known of all these, I guess. Little, we have a lot of space here, not, not, not much space here, so we have to have gaps in it as well. Our basements are filled, we actually could yeah, fill the whole building here. Right now we can't, as the money is short, but uh, we try to give an impression of what's going on. So, what we have with the mouse. Uh, <laughs> here's a joystick model of it, taken apart, so I can get, get a little idea. Vectrex, mm -hmm. one and only Vectrex with the with the with the Vectrex with the vector screen. Yeah, ColecoVision, everybody knows, first PlayStation type of game. Yeah. <laughs> As you played the original arcade games, quite due to the due to the original with graphics and sound. Uh, Nintendo Entertainment System. Mm the hardest concurrent, the hardest uh, partner against it, Sega. Then we jump over to 16-bit already. Sega 16-bit, we are missing the Super NES here, but uh, you see, no space. <laughs> yeah. No space left. N64. Then here's our little snake <laughs> that we actually got from, from Konami. And uh, yeah, PlayStation 2. And this was the spot where we actually want to put the, the, the console of the month, but it rather turned out to be the console of half the year. <laughs> as we, uh, and it's the only one that already got a sign with, with information about it. Uh, no, not really. Yeah, yeah the PC Engine was actually called Turbo Graphics in America, right? Yeah, yeah. In America, it was called, called Turbo Graphics, and it really, in my opinion, an ugly case around it. Yeah. This was... This was Japanese poor. It was small and tiny, and it had a lot of power. And the black black thing that came out in the US, nah, I don't know. My my opinion. <laughs> so um, let's move over. Must do? Okay. Stefan takes over. So then I unmute myself, and uh, 
Now I have to switch the camera again, but now I know how to do it. There we go. So Improvement. In our 8-bit room, we actually have a new thing here, which is our, uh, a replica of the Apple One that uh, Falk built. And he has his fingers on his camera right now, so I can see a lot of his hand. Yeah, it's cool, isn't it? The other hand. Where is it? Where is yeah. it? Where is it? Where now is it's good. Ah. Yeah, you, see, you can see yourself. <laughs> and next to it, we have another really old thing, an IMSI 8080, which uh, became notorious because through this movie, yeah. War Games, we yeah. can see it in the background. <laughs> Shall we play a game? Matthew Broderick. <laughs> uh, we have an Apple II, of course, where you can play Moon Patrol. And we also have an original autograph from Voss himself. Oh. We managed to procure that one. For So he, somehow, I mean, he may have forgotten already, but uh, at some point he knew that we exist. And that's, that's good, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we also have a few more of those. So here we have the TRS-80. Uh, with Team uh, Dragon again. This is uh, th this didn't really come out in Germany a lot. Uh, there were only a few co uh, 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 distributors who actually imported those, so it's running with the American voltage. Um, it didn't really catch on. Even the color version later didn't really catch on against the others. I mean, it just looks really awesome. Just the style of it looks very space agey. Now compare that to the more clunky Commodore yeah. Pad 2001. I mean, it's it's still awesome, but just this decidedly non-ergonomic keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> but then again, I mean, they had cool stuff like you can just open this thing up like it's a like it's a hood. You you can even really like a real hood. There is this uh, <laughs> this pin on the side, so you can prop it open like it is a real hood on your car. That's, I mean, there were engineers. They had new problems, and they tried to fix it uh, with solutions they already had. I mean, we were just starting out. This is a double floppy for the PET that cost about 4,000 uh, German marks back then, same as this machine with only 8 or 16 kilobyte of RAM, actually. And then uh, going higher up uh, was costing about the same again. RAM was very expensive back then. Interestingly, um, there is an adapter card for this drive, so you can even put it up on a C64 yes. if you have the adapter yes. card. But this adapter card is like 300 bucks or something on eBay. I was like, oh my God, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, it's, it's a pricey hobby if you want to go all the way right now, yes. Yeah. I mean, they, those yeah. things were even back then very pricey and not a lot of people bought it, so naturally today they're even less available. Uh, we have, of course, an Atari 800, um, the last home computer to have four joy ports, so you could actually play Mule in style with four players at once without two having to use the keyboard. Unfortunately, and I don't know, maybe, maybe cost issues or something, uh, most of the, uh, or almost any of the home computer producers uh, went with two control ports afterwards. I don't know. Maybe they thought people only have one brother or one neighbor and don't need so many. I don't know. Well, back in the 70s and 80s, you didn't have any friends if you were in the computer hobby, right? <laughs> uh, well, you had other friends who had computers. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, some peripherals for that. And then we have the UK 
representing with the static spectrum, the color version, um, also uh, with some peripherals to it, and then Commodore with the, uh, this is actually the VIC-20, it's the American version, which came out as a Volkscomputer 20 in Germany. Uh, we have a Galaga game there on it. And uh, we also have uh, another game. I mean, just look at the size of those cartridges. There was not much in it, actually. But uh, they, they, the expansion port was really broad and wide on that one. And here we have another UK export, the BBC microcomputer. And it's running a liter right now. So this is. But it was actually famous for the refs game, this computer. Which game? Refs. Which was yeah, a ref, Formula 3 Joff, racing game. Geoff Cremant. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, there were and, a lot of good games. Uh, Exile was another one. It actually used the tiny screen to put the graphics data around it because the uh, memory doesn't wasn't efficient to run this game in full. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So so this this racing game was declared impossible and, and he made it possible. That was pretty stunning on this machine. It's, yeah. a, it's a cool Elite, thing. Elite isn't bad either with, with the whole universe in it. <laughs> it's a cool thing. The only problem I have with it is uh, there is a speaker built in and you cannot change the volume of that. Mm. So if you're starting a game and it has an annoying soundtrack like Arcanoid or something on it, you wake up every neighbor. So no gaming during the night for school kids without the, without the parents knowing about it. Yeah. They would wake up for sure. <laughs> we have another Atari 800 here with a graphics tablet, with a touch tablet. Ooh. So where you can actually, just like you do on your smartphone, everything, touch tablet things. It's a one of example of that the, the vision of the engineers back then were already further away than the technology that they had at the time. Because the idea behind it is the same that you have on your smartphone today. It's just that they were limited to 320 to 200 pixels in four colors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, try to try to draw a cycle on a koala pet on the Commodore yeah. 64. Almost impossible. Yeah, that's a problem because uh, those uh, pixels are not really square. Yeah. Uh, that was a huge problem there. Here we have a, a, a French thing, the uh, Amstrad. Well, actually, as you can see, this is a Schneider, and somebody retrofitted it as an Amstrad. Um, so you have the lineage with it, but this is uh, the, the same thing that came out in France back then. We have a few games here, as you can see. Quite a few to select from if you want to come and game a bit, or if, oh when we can open up again. Yeah. <laughs> We have the only outing of Texas Instruments in the home computer market, the TE-99-4A. I'm still not sure. I should have read up on why they called it that. I mean, they could have called it the TI-1 for all I care because it was the first and only that they did. Um, but it's cool. I mean, it a, has a nice game here in it, and then you can switch between either basic or the game. And my shutter is, ah, that looks better now. So it can go directly into the basic or you can play the game instead. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, the, the graphics, I mean, as when this thing came out, the graphics were worse than most of the other computers on the market. So it didn't really catch on. There was actually a nice expansion set for it, which you can also do some uh, voice modulation and stuff. But that was very expensive. 
Right. So, okay, there you go, game. And next hmm. to it, and that is the last one that we have in the 8-bit exhibition, is a 128D from um, Commodore. And that is a nice fitting end for this uh, round trip here because it has both the most important CPUs from that time in it. It has the MOS 6510 in a slightly better version, and it also has the Zlog Z80 in it, which uh, quite a few of the other machines here have as their heart. So it's a nice end to it. I mean, it was a commercial failure, but still, it's a nice <laughs> machine. And this is actually this is the the one that you can carry around with you. Oh. So here it's the handle, and you can put the uh, the keyboard down below it. It's almost as portable as an SX64. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, back then portable just meant that you could work at another power socket, not that you could work <laughs> yeah. in between. Yeah, um, I mean, there were no batteries big enough that you wanted to carry around with you. We have a few more things here, like a Sharp, and uh, here's an acoustic um, cobbler for your um, for your phone line. Down here is another UK thing, the Dragon, Dragon. 32. That, that was actually pretty famous in Spain, that oh, track yeah, right. 32. They, yeah, they, yeah. I think they produced it there a little bit longer than in the UK, actually. They, yes. The, the company has a very, very interesting, although short, history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have a few more things here, like the package from the TI, and here is the also the portable version oh, of the yes. Apple II, which you would then, of course, have to drag the screen around as well, minimizing the portable aspect a bit, of course. We but at those, least yeah. there was a back for it. <laughs> yeah, we had those in school, the, 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 the two uh, Cs, I think they were. I mean, they look so nice. They do, they do. They, and the keyboards are great. They're real clicky and stuff. They feel fantastic, but... It's amazing, um, but uh, not really portable in any no. sense of the word. No. Then we have the Philips G7000 in its original packaging. And here we have some things to show kids and are. schools when they come how big uh, hard drives used to be. And actually, here is our biggest exhibit on that. <laughs> and that probably has about like five megabytes on it. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the first interchangeable ones. Um, we also have a few things like explaining 8-inch disks and then the mini disks and then the micro, basically, and how it all came together. Yep. Um, and, of course, the C64 we have to have as well. Uh, this is actually an exhibition model we had in uh, Großauheim when we had a three-month, three-and-a-half-month exhibition there. So we had to put it a bit in, uh, behind uh, plexiglass to make sure that people don't corrupt it. But um, we wanted to make it as interactive as possible. So also here you have a selection of games from 1982 to 2012. There is still around 20, 30 games or more developed for the C64 every yeah. year. Mm -hmm. And uh, these games show really nicely how the uh, programmers understood the machine better and better over the years. If you look at the first games from 1982 and compare that to the games from 2012, oh, yeah. 30 years later... Adds like night and day. You have mm -hmm. butter. You have smooth scrolling all over the screen. You have sounds that you couldn't think about back then. I mean, technology-wise, it was all there. It was just that the programmers didn't know it was possible, and in a few cases, even the designers of the chips didn't know it was possible either. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. 
All right, good. that's good for me. For this room, I, so. I can take over up here. Yeah. Okay. The uh, museum doesn't end. <laughs> yeah, talking talking about uh, pushing boundaries. Uh, there's probably nothing more than the 664 demo scene that actually is progressing all the time. I don't know what these guys are doing. Uh, every every year, new routines, new stuff that actually wasn't intended to be done on this hardware. So we donated this little uh, display here. It shows what's going on from the border letter one from 1001 crew that opened up the border to new stuff. It's running here, so we can take a look. I'm here in the tiny Z64 exhibition that we did a couple of years ago, three years ago, and uh, in another museum that are friends of us, where we had a little space. Um, yeah, we start basically from the first model, Z64, as most of the people know it, already with a common label. There were other other models before that. The first one, were actually, they had a sil silver label that you can see up here. We have a little wall. It's basically with, with timeline of all the models going on, even the gold one. It's fake. No, no worries. It's not the real one. Yes, <laughs> 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 yeah, we couldn't afford it. <laughs> and, yeah, from the ID C64 to the C64G and the last, uh, yeah, how do they call it? I don't know. Mishappening from a Commodore yeah. <laughs> trying to yeah. do a con yeah. console the, out of it. The, G, the GS. Right. The GS, Game Station, exactly. Real flop. <laughs> yeah, right. To, beside that, we do have the Essex, the one that actually was intended to be portable with uh, seven and a half kilograms and no uh, accu in it, uh, no battery in it. Yeah, you know how portable this might be. Also, the, uh, if you see the, the original uh, ad for it, there's a guy sitting at a swimming pool with ladies in the background and uh, no power cord attached, but the thing is running. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. He's got, a, he's got talking, a 75 talking, foot extension talking. cord going back to his house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, then the song from, from Commodore Australia Are you keeping up with the Commodore? <laughs> yeah, where's Commodore keeping up with you? <laughs> yeah, the green tentacle on the wall, and of course the other models as well. The second C64 intention, and uh, even here a white one, which is basically, I think it's from Aldi. No, it's a G, it's a G version, sorry. Hmm. Um, it was actually the first computer, the Aldi one, that you can see from 1987, which was basically the first computer sold at Aldi. I don't know how, far, how you know Aldi over there. Oh, yeah. It's a big, uh, big supermarket chain, mm -hmm. actually uh, known for their cheap, cheap prices and food. <laughs> but uh, this was the first computer sold at Aldi. Exactly. So, and then, uh, it was, then it was actually, um, after Aldi, it was sold as Quelle. For, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. for exactly. mail ordering. So actually you could get an Aldi not sold at Aldi. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. The, the, the cheapies were putting around the C64s and Commodore was lucky to provide them with the, with the stuff. And if you look inside all these machines, uh, the first one was, was for even the first board. The later ones, the boards get tinier and just get more integrated, so the price goes down, of course. I mean, this is, we are talking about this is 1988. Commodore came out with 1982 with it. So, um, right. yeah, six years of development, trying to put down everything they could to get the price down and still stay in the market with it. Hmm. And the last iteration, yeah, the GS, yeah. Not very good. <laughs> a competitor to the NAS, actually. Yeah, they tried to do it. They, they took, they, they, yeah, they unfortunately, took unfortunately, they did not put the price down. They actually tried to sell it for a rather steep price, 
even though it didn't have a keyboard yeah. or anything with it. So that and was the, just do, it was predestined to fail. And here's yeah. the thing. Here's the thing. I have one of those, and it she it ships with a cartridge with Robocop three, and it says press G to start game. Uh, J J to start yeah. Yeah, exactly. game. Yeah. So you Nowadays, actually can't play the game on the machine. Yeah. The problem that many games that have been hacked on this joystick, probably you know this, is the C64 DTV, which basically is a C64 in one on chip, designed by Jerry Ellsworth, and uh, talks directly to the TV. Joystick is naya, not not the best one, but uh, at least it's a C64. And uh, the scene, of course, took it apart, hacked games on it, but the same, same problem here, you got something like four buttons at the back. I don't know if you can see this. Yeah. A, B, C, yeah. D. And, and the rest of the keyboard is missing. So, uh, But the cool, thing, the cool and thing about the... it was that you could actually add a keyboard if you wanted to. Uh, if you open it yeah, up on the, on the motherboard inside were all the points that you needed to add your own uh, keyboard, a PS2 keyboard in that case. You could add an IEC port for a floppy drive, and you could also add uh, two joystick ports to it. So you could actually build your own C64 out of it. Well, but it's hard good. to keep. But it was hard to keep it in a portable form. Then, yes, <laughs> this was nice. Uh, put it out, put it, hook it up, start it up, and get it running. Yeah, and there are even a lot of a lot of hacked games out there. The scene took took to it, and they uh, hacked the game so that you can actually don't need the keyboard anymore to start it. At least. Right, so that just works with the four that you have available there. Yeah. So C64 Mini, the 64 Mini from uh, two years ago, I guess. Hooked up to a uh, tiny screen with HDMI. You see a lot of good graphics coming up. No distortion, <laughs> no stuff with it. Mm -hmm. um, so, so the keyboard doesn't work either. <laughs> so now you it, just miss the Maxi. Yes. Yeah, right. We still don't have it here, but yeah, of course. <laughs> we, we are running out of room and out of money. So <laughs> uh, one, <laughs> the one, thing, one is... thing that we do is uh, that we try to... Yeah. The thing is, um, Stefan, One thing. Stefan mentioned that some computers are pretty expensive and were rare to get. So are most computers actually donations? No. Meanwhile, we do have a lot of machines uh, that we could take back from, from our basement. Actually, the most of the stuff is from, our, is from us, from our basements. It's our private stuff. Lately, we got a lot of donations, so we can exchange now. Hmm. We, we have by, I, think, I would roughly say by now it's about it's almost fifty-fifty of things that fifty percent yes, and fifty yeah. is coming from our own collections, and uh, we just exchanged the the one hundred eighty-two, uh, one hundred twenty-eight that you saw, for example, that I just exchanged uh, to three weeks ago. Um, it used to be my version, and now it's one that actually belongs to our club, which, which has been graciously donated to us. Hmm. So we're replacing things one by one if we get things that actually belong yeah. to the museum. On the other, on the other hand, we, we're still collecting and we chip in like the Apple One replica is mine and the IMSA is mine, so there's a lot of money down there. Um, one thing that's probably not interesting, we try to provide... Uh, little information about the guys behind the scene, what makes the machines tick and how it all came to be. So in, on every, on, or most on our, on our rooms, uh, you, find, you find stuff up on the wall that you can read to get the basic information, background information. 
And this is the idea, to get the people hooked and show them where we came from, how far we got, and what it, uh, what it was all about, to wait 10 minutes for a loading tape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the kids don't know it. They really get, uh, get annoyed if the, and they don't know how to use floppies, so sitting there for half a minute, it's, it's a test. Yeah. Talking to, about tapes, uh, you better load them up front or you get damaged hardware, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so um, one thing left, no, two things left. This is the arcade corner, basically arcade corner. These are two yeah, point of sale displays for the Nintendo GameCube and the oh. Xbox 360. Uh, you see, not everything is running. This is another point uh, that we have to take care of and we are happy to get donations, hardware-wise or money-wise, as we have... Keeping this stuff running for five days a week is, uh, yeah, it's kind of kind of a mission. <laughs> right, right. It's uh, 40 years old most of the stuff, and it's breaking, and you mostly don't get the parts back. Mm-hmm. Everybody who's tinkering with old machines knows what what they are talking about. Um, perhaps uh, two words about these guys here: uh, the Popeye Nintendo version. It's basically the same cabinet where Donkey Kong was housed in. It's typical typical Nintendo bright colors. Design. We got those from the For Amusement Only, which is uh, Flipper and Arcade Museum. Mm-hmm. Members of, uh, we share the same member list, basically. They're the top people there are also involved here and other way around. And they do have uh, like uh, 800 square meters full of flippers, uh, pinball machines and arcade machines. And uh, if, we, if we like to have something, we call them and they exchange our machines here. Oh. Now, right now, it's a Popeye. The history about it is, uh, the short history about it is, that uh, actually Sigur Miyamoto was tasked to um, to do a game, and uh, he thought about doing a Popeye game. And uh, Nintendo hadn't got the license, so he changed the characters. And uh, yeah, Brutus was Donkey Kong, was was turned into an ape, or, to, uh, <laughs> or yeah, monkey. <laughs> and uh, Olivia came, became the princess, Popeye became Jumpman, as he was first known, and basically it's... Uh, yeah, it was uh, Donkey Kong in the end. Yeah, and later on, when they got the they got the rights to Popeye and they did another proper version of it. As a, it's a nice game. Polyplay yeah, came by accident to us. It's uh, the, the one and only uh, yeah arcade machine that was produced in the GDR. This one has a little turnaround and uh, had a little history. It went to Czechian and all the names. Uh, I don't know if you can read this. <laughs> you can read it, but probably won't understand it. They translated it, so the ROMs are check, check, and yeah. This is, uh, yeah, oh, one thing left. Stefan, has you something to say, or go to the living room? Okay. Nope, go to the living room. <laughs> one room left. Uh, we try to get a little cozy in here. You know, usually we turn off the light, uh, but for now it's better. Ada Lovelace on the wall, Alan Turing on the wall, like uh, in Trent Mars room, little flowers. Cozy sofa, all the old stuff, yeah, you feel yeah, at home, yeah. old television setup. <laughs> exactly. It's the Intertone, Intertone VC4000, basically the one and only German produced uh, console that had a head start of two years prior to the Atari 2600, so it's quite common in Germany. Hmm. Uh, strange thing, but it's got nice, yeah, as you can see here, it's like a Spectrovader's clone, even with bunkers and stuff like that. It's really, really nicely done, and it's got analog sticks. Yeah, old magazines, old stuff lying around. I don't know if anybody knows. Oops, in Germany, everybody knows. Oops, <laughs> it's uh, 
Yeah, fun magazine, old old catalogs where you can actually take a look or mail order catalogs. How how much the old hardware costs? Yeah, I haven't I have not prepared this, so I, I won't. Yeah, probably I, I put the picture of the suicide. So <laughs> check it later. <laughs> Didn't we all do it at at Charles? Huh? Yeah, all the all the ladies from the eighties are still in there. I can promise. <laughs> there was no internet. I mean, you got to do. You got to yeah. make do with what you got. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. That's yeah. basically the big tour. That's really impressive. It it's is. interesting because uh, for most people, they don't have such machines at home. But of course, we have because we are collectors, you know? Yeah. That's basically the feedback that we get. People come in and say, wow, it's like being a kid again. Yeah, We have a, we have a guest book down, lying down there. The comments are really great and feedback is great. It's much appreciated. It's uh, only five, Euro, five euros entrance fee and you can play basically all day long. You even get a bandage so you can get go out and come back in and get something to eat somewhere outside. Um, yeah, we try to try to make fun with people and they, they like it. So how can people <laughs> help supporting you? I guess you go you go by mostly by donations or send us all your money. It's just it's, it's plain and simple. <laughs> no. Basically, basically we, every, everything is appreciated. We, we need hardware, we need people, we need money. So um, most, more, most of which money is most important right now. We have, uh, we have the rent to pay, which is not quite uh, cheap. It's cheap for this that we are in the middle of the city, but it's still 1,600 euros. And we have to come up with this. Sponsoring is, is a great idea. You can get, uh, for a little money, you can get a sign on the door down. We have a, we have a little area. Yeah. You can, can keep can become part of the team. Take take action. Get here. Help us keep the things alive. Most most important would be some technical wizard that can repair all stuff. <laughs> that is, we 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 all quite okay with soldering, but uh, someone who's just taking a look and this is how it we do it done, who can fix things quite easily and quick would be nice. CRT screens especially, right? Yeah, CRTs is uh, the old wizardry. This, this, most of this stuff is analog electronics and most of the people nowadays are digital. So, yeah, if you have someone who can repair old tubes, would be very, very welcome. Not even here, even so in Seligenstadt, they are all looking for guys that can do that. Right. Sometimes it's just replacing the uh, electrolyte capacitors, obviously, because they're so old, mm -hmm. they're drying out. And uh, as you know, those machines, they run on smoke. And if the smoke comes out, it doesn't work anymore. And we try <laughs> to prevent that as much as possible. But uh, sooner or later, one of those uh, electrolyte capacitors is just mm -hmm. going to go up in smoke. And we've, and it's an awful smell. You probably already know that. Oh, yeah. oh yes. Yes, I saw it at Gamescom <laughs> once where a, a 1084 monitor was going up in smoke. And then people yeah. were like, oh, that smell. Great. It's it's amazing. It's really really filling the room. It's uh, it's great. And those are the sometimes really really huge uh, capacitors. And uh, if they explode, they throw their all the gunk that it's in it inside the enclosure, and then you have to clean it up. And so we try to before we take a machine and switch it on the first time, it's usually a good idea. <laughs> Open it up. Look if some of the Capacitors already look a bit shady, like <laughs> trying to like they will break out. <laughs> and uh, if they do, don't switch it on because uh. you will just make them pop their top. So uh, that's, that's some things we have to take care of when we look at those things. Hmm. 
But it's always nice to have people around when something explodes. So it's a live action show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, when it smells like Siemens. Also, <laughs> <laughs> one, one thing we forgot while I'm sitting here. Um, of course, we do have... Uh, wait a second. We do have our little reading corner where you can take a seat and read through the books and magazines. Quite, quite small at the moment. We, as we said, basements are filled also with magazines. Uh, we try to improve this a little or upgrade. We'll come in the future if we try if we get our fire extinguisher moved somehow. Yeah, <laughs> this we is going to at least double in size. Uh, right now there are two small billies, as you can see there. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a huge billy and we're going to move the two small ones to the side. Uh, we have enough uh, packages full with books and magazines that we can fill it all. Well, the the point where uh, cupboards are called billies. Yes. That shows you how much IKEA took over. Oh, Lord. Well, those are actual genuine billies. So <laughs> they are actually named. Those are the ones that we actually got them from there. So there's quite a bit of IKEA in this museum right now. Yeah, we have the IKEA branded somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Let's scroll to the posters here. These are all stuff that we did in the past 10 years. Uh, we invited Chris Hills back for an interview. We, we had a chat with him. Nice one. Yeah, you may yeah. remember that one. Yeah. I mean, oh, yes, I do. I do, yes. <laughs> you did the interview, so, yeah. <laughs> that was nice. Um, Thank you. <laughs> that is also the one of our connections, as uh, Frank, uh, as uh, Falk mentioned earlier, one of the connections we had with the Flipper and Arcade Museum in Seelingstadt, because we did it together with them over there. And it was really a nice evening there, afternoon and evening. Coffee clutch, really. Some uh, cake and, and coffee. And then sitting there talking about those old things. And uh, all of his old friends from Factor 5 and, and Keiko, were, uh, uh, Keiko were there. That was really nice meeting them. Rudolf Stember and all the other ones. Andreas Escher, etc. All the guys from there. That was, it was a cool afternoon. Yeah. yeah. Five years ago already. Oh already, yeah. yeah. Time is quick. Yeah, that's, uh, so, yeah. that's a great place because you know I, I wish that there was something I, there, there's no place that I can think of in the US where you can find something like this and it's it's really uh, you, you know it, it's there's a lot of machines that, that I had the C64 when I was younger uh, growing up and then we seem to have gone straight from the 64 to like the 386 to like the Windows 3.1 era like we kind of switched I feel like we skipped the Amiga I didn't see an Amiga in person <laughs> Until, until maybe. I almost did it. I almost did it myself. I had a C64, and then I switched to an uh, IBM compatible 286 mm -hmm. in 1989, which was actually from Vobis. So it right. was a high-screen computer, which is very popular. Uh, was popular in Germany, and then one year later, I I still bought an Amiga 500 just to play games with it. Mm -hmm. So I almost skipped it, but then uh, just. Got yeah. the curve before doing that, but uh, the Amiga actually was the last one from that generation. And then, but uh, because by then, a few years later, PCs had actually caught up to the graphics and sound right, capabilities. Right. Yeah. So that's why there was no next Amiga afterwards. Yeah. The machines that came afterwards, the 3000, 4000, those were basically rendering machines. Nobody mm -hmm. really did any 
private fun stuff on it. Right. I mean, the price would have been too high for that anyway. Yeah. And the prices for PCs were coming down. I mean, when we started out with those, they were almost 3,000 German marks every year. Yeah. I mean, you got a new computer. It was mm -hmm. a 364, 486, 386. So you got a new generation, but they seem to always be at 3,000 German marks. Now, computers are so friggin' cheap. Yeah. It's it's hard to explain to people that oh yeah and you liked it when you had a nine needle printer that went <laughs> during the night and right, you had right. to put a put a pillow on it to not wake the neighbors. Yeah, 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 and, and, and you know, like I said, like with like the Amiga, I didn't. We never even saw one in person until I went to the Vintage Computer Festival in. I guess it was 2015 or 16 or something, somewhere around there. You know, and that was the first time I never saw them in stores. The the Atari, the 16-bit Ataris, we never saw them around here. So yeah. to actually sit down and be able to use one. And when you do go to these, you know, like the the VCF where they have all this stuff laid out, you can't touch them, you mm. know, because they're somebody's computers. They're there to look at and to see what they're doing, but, but no, no, hands off. If someone okay, had a yeah, C65 there nice. and they would, you know, he'd pull out a sword if you got anywhere near it. <laughs> Our old member uh, Hesse had has the C65 as well, and he uh, put a beer on it and even dropped it. This I mean, back, come on, back, seriously. Back look, at, whole... look at the C65. That disk drive is just perfect to put a it glass is. beer on it. It is. So it that's is. what we did. And there are pictures from it. Just he he sometimes posts it in some news groups just to get a rise out mm -hmm. of people. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you have to send us that picture. So oh, we'll I've, got that. In here. I've got that picture. I've got it. You got that picture? Oh, yeah. Okay. I've got that picture. Okay. It's yeah. a huge Weizen beer glass. That's, uh... <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little bit that that the Amiga did take off in America. The yeah. Commodore did a big mistake. They didn't know how to market it. They had the best machine on the market, and they didn't know how to put it out. Right. The, if you take a look at the ads, it was black and white children going down a slide. Mm -hmm. We said, what? this is about yeah? yeah they just didn't know how to, to sell this thing they yeah, tried well, to sell I, it as a business computer which it's basically was but uh, the games were better yeah well i i got i finally got a, a 500 a couple of years ago and I've, I've spent some time kind of putting it together and it's kind of it it blows my mind that i've got this machine here from 1987 and mm. last week i got it on the internet i was browsing the web and it was doing it fine <laughs> like there's yeah. no reason a computer that old should be able to do that <laughs> well, uh, hooray for the engineers that built those machines. I mean, some stuff of our exhibition here is older; it's more than forty years old, and they still switch on when we tell them. Right. Not all wow. of them. We have at least one machine every yeah. week that is not working anymore, but <laughs> most of them are actually still working. Yeah. And uh, I mean, considering okay. that those were things that were only meant to run for five, three to five years as a consumer product, right. or yes, even so. just for one or two Christmas seasons, yeah. it's amazing that those machines are still working today. There's the next but, cube right there, which was... Well, we're, the, well, we're talking right? about the internet. Yeah, uh, we, we, we don't have the, the original original, but we faked it kind of that it looks like <laughs> it, it, it's the one from... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Falk went overboard with that. So it, it, it's really nice. We have some, some newer ones of the next machines as well. Not, uh, so this is our cube. We also have the the uh, color ones that came later mm -hmm. um, and another one of those screens so we have a bit of spare things there as well and we're just crossing our fingers that that thing doesn't go up in smoke it seems like the hard drive is developing a few issues but we have an external hard drive that we could swap in if right. need be but 
it's getting hard getting replacement spare parts for that machine. For right. other things, like a C64 with like, I don't know, 13 to 17 million sold, you can still find spare parts. Oh, yeah. um, you, get, you have organ donors lying around. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's always some good still, even in a, in a busted up motherboard somewhere. So and that's, that's what's happening mostly. Um, aside from the community building new chips or replacements for chips like the, the uh, SIT, the sound interface, Mm -hmm. uh, chip for the uh, Commodore 64. There's several now on the market, the ARM SID, etc., the SWIN SID, mm -hmm. and so on. So there's a few of them. There are flicker, f uh, not flicker fixes. They're like those um, line fixers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can have uh, new... Or even uh, the ultimate complete Super video C64. boards, etc. You have whole board replacements. Right. You can buy in the UK new boards, blank, which you can put your own chips on mm -hmm. it now. You have the Ultimate, you have the Reloaded. So there's quite a lot happening. And it's similar to the Amiga, for the Amiga, you can also have a new board. Right. Print, yep. You buy that, you just have to be patient with soldering because that's an awful lot of solder points you have to yeah, set. Yeah, it is, it is. <laughs> on the other hand, uh, there's always the, 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 the route that we try to go or will, will go if the harder machines uh, that we can't replace will crash, uh, we have to switch to emulation somehow. This is uh, our backup plan. Yeah. So put in a Raspberry Pi and boot it up. I mean, if uh, next step is running on the real machine, you won't see. And if you get, to get it hooked it up to the real screen, but uh, this is yeah. just future music right now. We, we haven't tested it. We have no time to, to, this, to tinker with it. And at but the I mean, moment, the first, try, try to keep first... it as, as original as possible. And if something is very, very precious, like the Apple One, and uh, the parts are hard to get, we won't turn it on. It's like these are just to, to show and perhaps if there's a run some time, if you do a tour, you can switch it on for a couple of minutes and put it off again. There's there's a line, we can't put everything in, in the hands of kids and, and visitors. Right. So yeah, this is, uh, I think this is understandable. It's like with our PCs. I mean, as, as soon as a user has a DOS prompt, uh, format C or Dell start or star <laughs> is just the keystroke away. So what we that's something we had to do with our XT and the AT in the other room. Rename um, it. Rename we it. removed the HDDs and and put compact flashcards in it instead. Yeah. So that yeah. we can just put an image on it, and if somebody completely corrupts it, just put a new image on it. It's good, and that's something that we have to keep in mind with all our pieces that we have here. I mean, we way. want people to use them to really yeah. feel, get a feel for it, and really experience those machines. But we also have to make sure that they don't destroy everything in their way, <laughs> yeah. and that the next people coming in can still enjoy the machine. So that's that's an uphill battle, and for every. Uh, piece that we put out here we have to think about it make sure okay how can we make this enjoyable and experienceable without going too much risk that somebody just uh, deletes everything and kills it off i mean it's easy for the for the amigas and so on that's just discs that you can replace and and even the amiga 2000 we have put in a compact flash card mm -hmm. so that's also easy to replace um but the next for example that's a harder option. That is not right. so easy to be replaced. Yeah. One, one nice story about this where history is repeating as well. Um, when the first Macintosh, the 1984 Macintosh, was shipped, um, the engineers went to the store. They would get called to the store and that uh, nothing is working, everything is strange here. And uh, they noticed that the start volume was renamed in something gibberish. 
As somebody was typing away on the keyboard. They didn't, couldn't make sense of it. So they hide away and watch the visitors come in. And people that wasn't used to the mouse. This was a new device. So they just hit the keyboard and by accident they renamed every, the start volume every time. So the system won't run. And last, last week I had two kids here ex doing exactly the same with our cube here. They came in and hit them away on the keyboard and then afterwards the system was no, every folder was renamed. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the unfortunate flaw in the Mac OS. Yeah. which I always hated, that if you just start typing away sooner or later, you rename your hard drive. I don't know why that <laughs> had to happen, but if, you, if usually the hard drive is the first thing you have, and if you press enter, you can change the name, and just by randomly pressing the keyboard, yeah. you end up in that situation. Right. So we always have to afterwards if everything is still fine. <laughs> so where can people find out about it? Okay, well, so we are online at uh, www.digitalretropark.de. Uh, I uh, assume you will put that into the video somewhere as well. It will be right down here. Okay, so we are also on Instagram and Twitter, but less often. Um, we are also on Facebook, which is where we do most of our duck bidding on the internet. Uh, that's where the most updates happen. Um, yeah, that's about it. We also, our physical location, of course, is in Offenbach am Main, Frankfurter Straße 13 bis 15, directly behind the telecom shop. Easy to find if you know okay. where it is. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's about it. The other stuff, I mean, uh, w usually we would have opened from Tuesday to Saturday, 11 to 5. But right now, obviously, due to this difficult situation, we are closed down. We're the only people here at this hour, obviously. And, and even last Saturday, it was very, I was always heartbroken. I went in just to check on a few things. And I was like, oh, geez. <sighs> There could be people here right now. No? So just... On the upside, though, you get to play with everything all by yourself. Yes, <laughs> I mean, I did play a round of Elite uh, on, the, uh, <laughs> on the IBM AT machine. I mean, it's, it's the, the awful-looking CGA version, but, man, I love that game. <laughs> Elite is really, really great, yeah. I mean, I was able to actually leave the station and go back in without crashing, so, wow. yeah, I still got it. <laughs> I was lucky, <laughs> I was lucky on my C64 disk was a little tiny file, one block large, which was called uh, Ian Bell. This was a, was a safe from Ian Bell somehow. It has everything. <laughs> <laughs> the ship was fully equipped. Nice, yeah. There were some, some computer and every stuff for that. <laughs> Alrighty. So thanks a lot for taking There's the time. There's a bit of post-production you have to do. Oh, but yeah, there you Of course. Of course. Of course. Of course. Thanks for having us. Well, thanks for thanks. taking the time to sit thanks, with us. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. Actually, you, you haven't too? been sitting with us. You've been running around the museum with us. So thanks for doing that. It's a virtual tour. It's a oh, cool you got thing. The short tour. Everybody's doing it these days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, everybody's staying from home. That's and... true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next yeah. time you get the bill. VR. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, guys. Thanks yeah. a lot. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye Take care. Bye-bye. So that was Falk, Falk Heinzelman and Stefan Pitch. Um, yeah. Is that good? Yeah, yeah. See, That's I'm perfect. Better. I'm getting better yeah. at this. I hope you enjoyed our tour of the Digital Retro Park. I certainly did. That was fantastic for getting out of the house for a little bit, even if I was still in the house. It was sort of just like ritual. being there. Everything yeah. is ritual nowadays. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, 
It, it was it, it was fantastic, and I loved the fact that they just kind of took it, took care of it, took over, and we didn't really need to do too much. Just no. sit back, just no. sit back and watch and en- and enjoy the uh, enjoy getting a getting a firsthand tour. And don't forget to visit when they are reopened. Mm-hmm. They are in mm-hmm. Offenbach, which is in the near of Frankfurt on the Main in Germany. Yes. And we'll put a yeah. link to their, their site down there so everybody can check that out and, and can prepare yeah. for when this is all over and we can actually go out to things again and look at them. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, and until next time, you know where to find us because you're already watching us. <laughs> yes. So. Yeah. See you later. If not, then forget about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>